Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Bladick with EEOC's Office of Federal Operations, and I welcome you again to a micro-learning moment from EEOC and the Federal Community's EEO Education Consortium. Today, we continue a series of podcasts on OFO's Reports and Evaluation Division, or RED, the social science research arm of our Federal Sector Programs Division in OFO. In addition to its other functions, RED produces social science-related research of EEO-based topics within the federal sector, which is again our focus for this podcast. With me today is Sawatu, a sociologist and social science research analyst with RED. Sawatu has a doctorate degree in sociology from Howard University with concentrations in medical sociology and urban sociology and a minor in social psychology. As a part of his work with RED, Sawatu has been conducting research focusing on the underreporting of harassment, our subject for discussion today. Welcome, Sawatu. Thanks for meeting with me today to talk about your research on harassment. So tell me, what was it that got you interested in doing research into this subject? And what is a sociologist's approach to understanding harassment? Thanks, Tim. Thanks for agreeing to talk to me. And I'm excited to share some of our research that we're doing on harassment. What happened is that the commissioner's office, a couple of years ago, they started this anti-harassment task force. And so they started a series of dialogues and research and conversations. They produced reports all centered around the topic of harassment. And throughout those conversations, the idea of are the harassment data that we're collecting, is this data accurate? Does it actually reflect the workforce? So the question came up, is harassment being properly reported? So we were asked then to conduct research on harassment reporting in the federal sector. And as we started doing our review of the literature, what we found was that there seems to be evidence of harassment being underreported, not necessarily in the federal sector, but in the research. The research was showing that harassment was underreported. So we started making, wondering if it's also true in the federal sector. So we started this research to look into whether or not harassment is underreported. If it is, um, why? I see. So how would you, as a sociologist, though, how would you approach this different than, say, a layperson or maybe even an attorney? As a sociologist, our approach to things in general, we're not really practitioners, not by training at least. We are more so scientists, investigators. Uh, we're just simply trying to answer questions. And so as a, as a sociologist, our approach is a little different. Sociology is the study of human social interaction. And by social interaction, we're not so much talking about individuals interacting with one another, but various aspects and facets of society interacting with one another, the various statuses that we carry, the various roles that we are expected to play associated with those statuses, um, our group memberships and our organizational memberships, and how all these aspects of the society interact to influence what we do and how we behave. Interesting. So. I know this must have been a complicated issue to research, but before we talk about the factors that play into non-reporting of harassment, uh, can you just share with us some basic things? How prevalent is harassment in the federal sector? You mentioned that we found out it was underreported, but how do we know it's underreported? Now, Tim, um, before we get too into the conversation, um, the definition of harassment as defined on the EEOC's website. Absolutely. On the website, it says that harassment is a form of employment discrimination that violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967, and the Americans with Disability Act of 1990. Harassment is unwelcome conduct that is based on race, color, religion, 
sex, including pregnancy, national origin, age, 40 and over, disability, or genetic information. And so this is how we define harassment. And you're right, Tim, it's hard to research how, whether or not harassment is underreported. All we have to go on is based on what we see in the social science literature. And even in the social science literature, it can become a little controversial in terms of how they are measuring harassment underreporting. When we talk about underreporting, it's a tricky thing to study. The way these, this research is conducted, for the most part, people are sort of asked, um, have you been harassed on your job? In some cases, they are asked to describe the incident um, so that the researchers can understand whether or not it's a legitimate, it sounds like a legitimate harassment complaint. And then they are asked to, um, they are asked, how did they respond to that? Did you report it? Did you not report it? Did you share it with friends? Did you share it with your leadership? Right? And so when they do these types of studies, though, consistently, what we find is that anywhere on the conservative end of 40%, on the upper end of 75% of harassment complaints, so between 40 to 75% of people when asked are saying that, yes, I was harassed, but no, I didn't report it. So we don't know for certain that this is happening in the federal sector, but if we are to follow what the social science literature is implying, it's worth a deeper conversation. And that's really the purpose of a lot of the research that we do is to just um, provide considerations for practitioners. Okay. And, and if I was to speak about the prevalence of harassment, it has actually been um, our most prevalent basis for our EEO complaint, definitely since 2013, um, according to EEOC.gov since 1994. Currently, harassment makes up 48% of our 14,000 complaints filed as of 2019. So almost half of all EEO complaints have a basis of harassment. Okay, so this is something, as we would probably know intuitively, this is uh, prevalent and overarching in the federal sector as well as the private sector. So briefly, if you were going to, getting back to the non-reporting issue, what are the, the primary explanations for harassment non-reporting? Yeah, and as we reviewed our literature, we attempted to sort of organize the studies. And what we found, and we reviewed well over 50 studies on harassment so far. Like I said, this is still ongoing, but for the most part, we classified the studies um, based on studies that are um, explaining harassment and why we fail to report based on individual characteristics. And these individual characteristics are things like our personalities, our psychological predispositions, um, things like our unique life circumstances, um, and even our social groups and social categories um, to which we belong. So, but the idea though, is that some of us have different tolerances for harassment. Um, some of us have um, a more patient with trans transgression, um, but then some of us are more aggressive when faced with transgression. Um, in terms of our group memberships, um, some of us in our life circumstances, some of us are less likely to report harassment because some of us are more fearful of the consequences. Some of us feel that we have more to lose by disclosing harassment. And so, and this feeling of um, loss and this fear of loss is largely influenced by the various statuses and things of that nature that we carry, meaning our race, our employability, our age, um, our gender and our sexual orientation, things of that nature. And then we have another class of studies that are explaining harassment by looking at the organizational characteristics and how the organization 
and opportunities to harass are and and suppress harassing reporting can be perpetuated by the character of the organization itself. For example, if the EEO process um, is, is too um, tedious, if it's inefficient, people are less likely to, to report harassment. Um, if managers and leadership sort of promote um, harassing behavior, highly competitive organizations or organizations with a culture that is highly competitive, highly stratified, where the workforce is encouraged to not question authority, things of that nature, they discourage harassment reporting. So for the most part, though, we look at when we're trying to explain harassment, not underreporting, we are trying to explain it by either looking at who we are as individuals and how our things like our personality and our personal life circumstances discourage us from reporting harassment, and at the same time, organizational factors and how even if we were the type that was I'm willing to report harassment, depending on the character of the organization, the culture of the organization, the organizational structure, the, the nature of the EEO complaint process, we will be discouraged from reporting because of those types of factors. All right. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mentioned about those things that make us feel vulnerable, the vulnerability statuses that people carry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is another thing that we found is that, at least based on the literature, Different groups of people carry certain statuses that makes them more vulnerable to harassment and makes harassment reporting more costly. Um, and just getting into this whole idea of intersectionality and how even when we we carry these statuses, but we carry all carry multiple statuses. For example, black female police officer. For example, that combination of statuses. Um, and her willingness to report may be different from a white male police officer, just because of mm. the combination of statuses that they carry and the inequalities that exist in society and, and the wills of justice and how the will, wills of justice can be inconsistent depending on the statuses that we carry. What happens is that when we start talking about people's fear of reporting, they themselves are aware of the statuses that they carry. So if you are a black female law enforcement officer, for example, Working in an all-male, um, all a predominantly um, white or predominantly white male-dominated occupation, she's going to be less likely to report harassment. She's going to be feel more so that the wills of justice will not work in her favor simply because of the statuses that she carries and the way the society in general is, is organized. Mm-hmm. So this is what we mean. And so when we are talking about harassment reporting and why we don't report, at least one of the things we should at least consider is how the statuses that we carry and the statuses that this individual carries, how it may discourage them from reporting. They are more susceptible to retaliation. As a matter of fact, we saw studies where even younger employees were less likely to report retaliation than more seasoned employees out of fear of losing their jobs, not understanding what all their opportunities are. Um, we, we, we saw studies where people with lower education and lower employability, those statuses mm. makes them more likely to tolerate harassment. I have a fear that if I report it, I may get retaliated against, I may get displaced as, a, as an employee, and it decreases, it's, it's decreasing my chance of finding work in other places. Um, we also seen studies where immigrants, even immigrants, legal immigrants, are some are afraid of being retaliated against 
because of their immigration status, even though they're legal immigrants. Sometimes these things are about perception and how our perceptions of how the system may respond to me speaking up um, in terms of um, me voicing my experiences with retaliation. So this is what we mean. And imagine all of these statuses that, that we just mentioned, and then you put that in an organizational structure with some of these other limitations that we mentioned. And we see a situation where we can expect then that a lot of people probably are being harassed and they're not reporting. I think that's a, I think that's a safe hypothesis. I should say mm-hmm. we need to further investigate that. Of course. S- sounds like there's really, really complicated interrelationship here that, that come into play. So I guess that sort of begs the question, not only do you have the individual responses and all those factors, you have the organizational issues uh, that come into play, but, you know, so if I'm an EEO professional and I'm interested in trying to, to deal with harassment under reporting, what, what would be your advice? What, what should I do? In, in a nutshell, I, I would definitely look into some of the scientific, scientific research on harassment and harassment, harassment under reporting. I would definitely consider um, having efficient EEO processes, EEO processes that um, do not make people feel stigmatized, um, that they feel that they are safe in disclosing strong anti-retaliation policies in place um, so that people feel safe. They don't have this fear of retaliating. But also, as you are designing your EEO programs and as you are designing your outreach programs and things of that nature, Design them in a way that's mindful that some people are just their personalities. They're going to be more susceptible to harassment um, because of some of the statuses that people carry. They're going to be less likely to report. So you have to design these programs in a way that encourages people of all walks of life, of all personality types, that they feel comfortable reporting harassment. And so I think that these types of conversations that we're having now um, centered around anti-harassment um, and harassment non-reporting. This only the starting point. Those in the practice of EEO practice, um, I think that they could benefit from just kind of looking at some of the things that we are researching, some of the issues that we bring up, and see how you can integrate some of these issues into um, designing programs and, and complaint processes that inspire confidence in your workforce. Thanks. Thank you, Suwatu. Really appreciate that. That's a lot to think about. Very thought-provoking. Is there anything you want to add in in closing? No, I think for the most part, we covered it all. Okay. Well, great. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate your insight and and the research that you're doing. And thank you to everyone for joining us for this micro-learning moment. If you'd like to know more about the Federal Sector EEO Education Consortium, send an email expressing interest to edcon at eeoc.gov. We look forward to you joining us for more in our Microlearning Moment podcast series on Research by Red over the next several months. Good day, everyone.